0: Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface, I'm Jared Fuller and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This week's episode is one that uh, I've been looking forward to for a long time. I am talking to Dimitri Siegel. Dimitri is currently the Vice President of Global Brand at Sonos and was previously the Executive Creative Director at Patagonia. He also worked on design and creative direction for brands like Urban Outfitters and Sundance. but. Before all that, Dimitri was one of my favorite writers in the uh, sort of immigré era of design criticism. He's published essays in immigré, but also in places like dot, 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 and was a regular contributor to Design Observer. I was really interested in talking to Dimitri about this career arc, about how, how one goes from writing for immigré to leading design at a global brand like Sonos. But I was also interested in his own relationship to design writing and how this background plays a role in the kinds of work that he's doing now. We also talk about his thoughts on the state of design criticism today and how it's changed from uh, when he was writing often. We talk about being critical in an in-house design team and the types of writing that he's always aspired to. Like I said, I had been looking forward to this one for a while. When I started this podcast, Dimitri was one of the people that I wanted to talk to right from the beginning, and I'm so glad we finally got to, uh, got to talk, and it was a pleasure to hear his thoughts on all of these things that I love talking about. So I hope that you also enjoy my conversation with Dimitri Siegel. I was kind of saying before we started recording you're somebody as soon as I started this podcast you were someone that was on my list of someone I wanted to talk to and you were one of my favorite writers during that kind of mid-2000s design blog boom Um, and then I kind of didn't hear from you for a while I didn't I I kind of had lost track of of where you were and a couple years ago I was reading something and your name was in, in the article. And I was like, what happened, what happened to him? And, (laughs) and Googled you and you were like, you know, vice president of something at Patagonia. I was like, this is the strangest career trajectory I have ever seen. (laughs) And and so I kind of, I mean, not to ask a kind of weird first question, but I'd kind of like to pick apart how someone goes from, uh, you know, kind of Yale MFA writing for dot, you know, these kind of alternative publications like dot, 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 and immigrate to leading brand at, you know, Patagonia or Sonos or something like that. Um, so, le- so let's kind of start a little bit with maybe Yale or where your interest in design came from or what your kind of early entry into the design field looked like.
1: Sure. Um... I started out as a fine artist, so I was, I was a painting major in undergrad, okay. um, but I was always interested in technology, so I did like a, a sort of a paintings go into the computer and you can, you know, user generate your own version of the painting kind of thing in like yeah. 1994. Yeah. That was kind of my um, yes. my art at the time. So I always had this interest in art and technology and music, and all those three things, I think, especially at that time, were just, you know, a lot of people were really interested in those things. So yeah. um, after undergrad, I went to New York and, and was an artist and was also teaching um, art as a mm-hmm. as a way to make a living, and it was during this whole technology boom, and so there was so much opportunity um, to kind of look at the interplay between culture, the arts, and technology Right. And I got involved in a couple software companies at that time um, that were specifically around like the museums and bringing the museum experience um, online. And I, I had actually like um, been, I'd been teaching in museums. That was the art teaching I was doing. So it's this thing where you're like really seeing the analog world go digital um, right. and seeing how like even something like teaching art, um, design, and technology were making that really disrupting it and really making that um, uh, a faster, more interesting right. kind of um, space than being a, a museum docent, which <laughs> was my <laughs> career path at that point. Right. Um, and so that's really what led me back to graduate school. You know, I was doing like paintings about technology. I was working at a technology company. Um, you know, we were designing software. So it was sort of like... Okay, I want to I want to really bring this together more, and I I think that's like especially at that time was very much in the in the job description of a designer. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these things that are now specialties, were, you know, I wrote a thing that, that you might have read called "Designers as Dilettantes," yeah, and, and yeah, part yeah. of that was about myself. That you know, right. you were you were, it was okay to be a dilettante um, as a designer at that time because you were one of the few people who knew how to use technology to make things. Um, so. I'd say that's kind of what what drew me into the field of design, and in some sense, as we, as you go from there, what what made my career path take take the course that it took.
0: So, d- d- when you when you decided to go back to school, how uh, this is going to sound kind of strange, but how aware of you, how aware of what graphic design was, were you in these in these jobs you were doing? Were you working closely with designers like that was very clearly the thing that could bring these things together for you
1: I was aware of design as a kid because my mom was a cartographer for national geographic magazine so I grew up in a making a magazine environment um, with designers and photo editors and writers and kind of that team you know of creative people working on a project so I was aware of design you know as a kid and my my parents both had taken uh, calligraphy in college. With um, they went to Reed, where um, oh, yeah. where Steve Jobs yeah. went, and they studied with uh studied calligraphy there. And so they had amazing handwriting. Oh wow! Um, and that was like a huge influence on me. I think just their they cared a lot about letters, and they cared a lot about how you know, writing looked. And so there was a lot of it that was already sort of in there. Um, But I think at that time, yeah, you were starting to realize that everything was going to be translated into a two dimensional form, like all these things that were formerly three dimensional experiences or, you know, books or whatever, they were all going to be like translated into like digital magazine like things. Um, So yeah, certainly like watching one of the software companies i worked for was called the museum system and it was basically a collections management software okay. for museums so you're like oh wait the whole museum is just going to be this database <laughs> right. at some point right like, right um
0: uh, that's so interesting so when you when you finished at yale what were you thinking or what kind of career were you looking for kind of
1: right at that graduation moment um i th- i think it's you know didn't really know. I, I, yeah. I took what I could, you know, what options were there, and kind of yeah. considered them. And I was really fortunate that one of my professors at Yale, Kira um, Alexandra, hired me at Sundance Channel. Um, I had loved doing motion work, and and I loved the storytelling component of it, and I loved the, you know, that I was coming again into an industry that was being digitized and so right. that network the idea of a network was moving from a channel to you know broadcast and online and out of home and print and all these things so um and she was just like she remains like one of my mentors and inspirations as a as yeah. a designer and so um she um she gave me that first opportunity and then that that allowed me to see like motion work and and digital work and and kind of brand management which is what she was really doing for that brand so lucky (laughs) yeah
0: i mean it's it's actually really uh, i i don't want to say it takes some of the fun out of this journey but it's like oh all of these things that you're probably doing now were actually there from the beginning it sounds like
1: I think there is an omnivorous quality like I didn't go to design as an undergrad I went yeah. to liberal arts and you you know as an as a liberal arts student you learn how to learn and and both my parents were um had had big career changes in their life my mom was a philosopher philosophy oh, wow. professor and then went to <laughs> National Geographic so there was just That's a amazing. sense of like life's a journey you always learn new yeah, things yeah, yeah. um and I think that's probably what's led to such a seemingly um, odd yeah. uh, career path. I think it's also that just the world keeps getting disrupted. I mean, it's happening <laughs> right. faster now than ever, yeah. but it's been yeah. happening for my whole adult life. So even if I had said, and I think, you know, if I had been at Sundance Channel and been like, this is it, cable TV, I love it, like, <laughs> right. where would I be now, right? There's right. no such thing. So, right.
0: so where I. I mean, it's interesting how these things are starting to fit together, but now I'm really curious where the writing piece came in or or where and how you started writing or even writing about design, how that kind of fits into all of this.
1: I mean, I think it's similar to you that when I wasn't in the design world, that that writing was the way I got access to it. Yeah. and. You know, design is graphic designs all around you, but writing was the way I I got a perspective on what was good or not. And right. the same with music, right? Like yeah. you'd read zines and stuff to find out what was actually good, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. there's music everywhere, That's but you wanted point. to have that critical perspective on it. And writing was that thing—the Stephen Heller books, Looking Closer books—like, yeah. you know, pre pre blog, pre internet. Um, those were really the things. And if I could, you know, if I found something in like wire or something that was like about design you know it was a different a different um you know emigre obviously right like those those were my access point into like okay what's a what's good design or what's 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 the dialogue about design right now
0: and then did you have did you have a an interest in not just consuming that but being a part of that dialogue or, or contributing to that dialogue in some way
1: um Definitely. I mean, I think like writing is still such a big part of. I think written communication is just. It's it's almost like the most primal form of communication, or the most you know the rudimentary, not in a bad way, but kind of like, you know, craftwork is the right. the ultimate distillation of electronic music. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, writing is the ultimate distillation of communication. So, um, and and I like a good argument. I mean, I think like I like debate you know sort of having that critical perspective and writing really gives you license to kind of be rhetorical um which isn't always encouraged in the workplace so it's not (laughs) always the best thing to do at work. right but you sit down to write an essay and you're completely have license to really argue a you know a a distinct Mm -hmm. point of view Mm -hmm. i mean i'm i'm really you know curious where that where that has gone to be honest um you know the essay as a format um the blog explosion, you know, really provided a lot of bandwidth for people to write in that yeah, format, right? Which is very, like, sustainable practice, right? Like, it's super intense focus for a couple of weeks, and then you're done, and you can go do other stuff. Um, and then it turned into, like, you know, shorter and shorter bits, constantly, constantly, and just, like, this churn of tiny little things. Um, and And that's just, like, was burnout to me. Like, I couldn't it wasn't satisfying. <laughs> yeah,
0: know. yeah. Do you? I. I mean that. Th- this is something that I wanted to kind of talk to you about later in the conversation, but actually, really makes sense here. And and I. I'm a, a lot of those writers that I kind of, um, or a lot of those designers even that I, you know, were first introduced to through those those blogs 15 years ago now my first introduction to them was actually as writers not as designers and so someone like yourself I read your words before I ever saw any of the actual kind of work that you did and so many of of those people have stopped writing or are writing less frequently and are now you know kind of very much uh designers or just kind of not a part of that conversation anymore or the conversation if there even is a conversation anymore and and was that was that a a conscious decision for you to kind of move away from that or is that something that just kind of you know the 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 conversations move to different places and you just
1: kind of were doing your thing
0: you know what you know what I mean yeah yeah I mean a weird question
1: I'm I'm kind of just as curious about it as you are (laughs) I mean I definitely still like long to write in that way and I would love to still make it part of my life so part of it is just me being you know letting other things get in the way of it Mm -hmm. I'm also just like confused about if that is still going on anymore like I'm certainly not as plugged into it I mean I check in with you know my old haunts but like is there a vibrant, like, criticism scene right now? I mean, I, I teach, you know, at various grad programs periodically and go through, and, like, I don't get the sense that there is these, that publications are really, like, where that conversation is happening anymore. But I, I'm also just out of touch, so yeah, I could be wrong. I
0: mean, no, I think you're you're right. And if, if I've learned anything from these conversations that I'm having for this podcast, I, I kind of started the podcast with this idea that, uh the world needed more design criticism or more design writers or more people talking about design. And as I've talked to people, I've kind I've come to realize that more people are probably talking about design quote unquote graphic design than ever before. Uh you know, I'm sure you see this when, when you you know, Sonos has an, a new thing and then everyone on Twitter has immediate commentary on, on that thing. And that's where a lot of the problem is is that the general public non-designers are aware of this designers are aware of this but now it's just 140 characters instead of like you mentioned earlier the essay format or something that's a little bit deeper or a little more considered and then because it's all on twitter there's not these kind of centralized places for it and so it's all just kind of you know just being thrown out into the world
1: Yeah, I mean I I I feel like I watched it happen in a way real time where like when we when they when Jessica and Bill first started Design Observer, you know, you'd spend a lot of time on the essay and then we would spend a lot of time on our comments on each other's posts. Like I would spend a day writing a comment, you know? And then it just got faster and stupider and faster and stupider and it's like and that's where it just the thoughtfulness kind of dissipated from from the comment section anyway. Right. Um and so the the dialogue was was much different there. And I think it's a medium thing too. I mean, I think if there is going to be, you know, a sort of a um, what's the word I want to use? It's like I think a a long term conversation or like a yeah. continuous conversation podcast is probably a medium where it could happen again.
0: But Fingers you crossed. know,
1: magazines and and blogs aren't really going to be able to sustain. A, a thoughtful conversation anymore um and then you know that's interesting i think also like the role of technology you know i always look at design as and typography as like the translation of the human voice yeah. through a mechanical process and we're moving into this period where the where voice is actually the media the mechanical means through which the human right. voice is going to get translated and so right you know, voice control and podcast and this stuff, it's, a, it's, we're almost entering an era when, like, you know, sound and the direct translation of your voice might become the dominant form, which right. will be weird for designers because it's going to be a less visual thing. You know? Yeah.
0: I mean, it, I mean, that was super weird for me where my, I mean, this podcast was my MFA thesis project and it was not visual
1: at all. <laughs> And yeah.
0: That's what I've trained to do. And, you know, I had to kind of like wrestle with that for a while. I um,
1: think you're right on the edge of it, of, of where, you know, where things are going, to be honest. You know, I look at, I have a 10-year-old kid and a 5-year-old kid. My 10-year-old is obsessed with a phone. My 5-year-old just talks to the, the his speaker, you know. Yeah. It's like he doesn't even want a phone. He's like, well, it's cool. I got it. I just ask for it. Yeah, It, it happens, yeah. you know. Yeah.
0: You know, it's it's funny. You you mentioning the comment section r- reminded me as I was kind of preparing for this conversation. I reread a piece you had written, and I'm sorry to kind of bring up probably essays that you haven't read in ten or fifteen years. I read them every night. What are you about? <laughs> okay, good. So you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, it was it was something that you wrote. I don't know where it was published originally, but it was about. Design Observer and Speak Up. And it was about uh, Bill and Jessica's AIGA uh, keynote. And you mentioned the comments in that and how, you know, there's, you get a good 24 hours of kind of solid uh, discussion and then it just devolves into personal attacks or, uh, you know, short kind of, you know, statements, which really, you know, this was way before Twitter and I, you kind of were noticing that. Then, But what what really struck me about that piece and a couple other things that I had read, reread recently, was how much you you wrote about the discourse um, and about what design criticism should be. I have the issue of Emigre where Rudy interviews you about um, your, uh, I guess it was kind of a review of the the rant issue. And you're kind of talking about this. And it's all the same questions that... I'm asking, you know, now, yeah. 10, 15 years later, were you feeling that? I, I, I kind of, I'm, I kind of want to know what it, as somebody who was, you know, essentially a kid, when these things were coming out, it's easy for me to look at that era, to look at the 90s, especially, and even, you know, my high school years in the early 2000s as the kind of golden age of design criticism. But then here, you were kind of talking about a lot of the problems and other people talking about the problems with that discourse. What what was that kind of like for you to kind of be a practicing designer, new in the field, um, and then wanting a kind of richer design criticism?
1: I mean, I think one of the first things I wrote, or, or maybe it was, I, I forget where it surfaced, but like, the question for me was, is the same question that you have is like, can you be a designer and a writer at the same time? And there were obviously people yeah. in my life who were like Michael and Jessica and yeah. Bill, who were writers and designers. And, and, you know, but it was really a, a question, you know, there was, there was them. And then there was like Stuart Bailey at dot, dot, dot. Right. And yep. Paul Element at dot, dot, dot. But like, but I was like, are they really designers? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, And then with, you know, to some extent with with Bill and Jessica, I was like, are they really designers? Like, do you, you know, and then there was like Stephen Heller who was like, you know, not a designer really. He's just just doing writing. So like that, like... You know, trying to do those two things at the same time was definitely, I think, similar to you. As like, I really wanted to be able to do those two things, and so I was very critically like assessing, like, mm-hmm. is this possible? Um, and I think that you know, there had been this. Um, I would say I was at the tail end of the glory days of divine <laughs> right. criticism for sure, um, and watching it, you know, get, you know, get disrupted. There was the the Looking Closer series mm-hmm. that that Bill and Michael Beirut did, like. You, there was a there was a canon, you know, there was like, yeah. you make it in one of those books, and then that's what people will read, and, yeah. um, you know, there was not, then the the blogs kind of maintained that for a while, um, but then it really started fragmenting, and, you know, I remember when Rob went and did um, Lined and Unlined, yeah. and I was like, oh, this is like taking a whole leg of the stool away, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, I gotta check three blogs, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> that's right. and I think just further, you know, fragmented from there. I mean, I'm, I hope, I, I, um, I hope that it's still going on. And like I said, it's something that I always like kind of long to check back into. Yeah. I find that like, I, that at least for me, the best things that I did after I became a professional designer were these overlaps between criticism and design. And that led to, I think some of the most important, like, in like actual practical like like things that i wrote about like yeah. they were less academic obviously because they right. were based like okay this is really a thing like what do we do about plastic bags and our canvas bags really like right, is that really a right, solution right. you know yeah or yeah stuff like that um i've seen you be able to thread back and forth but to really like you know um i personally haven't been able to sustain like a, you know, a prolific writing career and a prolific uh, right. professional career.
0: But were those overlaps that you're talking about? Are or, or, are you? T- do you mean that the writing was actually came out of kind of design projects you were working on, where they were so integrated, or, or you know, what what exactly kind of are you talking about with those overlaps? Because that's something that's really interesting to me, also.
1: Yeah, I think like you know there's a couple of pieces in there. They're probably the later pieces that I wrote on Design Observer where I'd be, like, seeing something at work and noticing a pattern or noticing um, a shift and, like, that was actually happening in the practice of design. Right. Um, And and then using that as the starting point of something, Mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, the way I wrote was always, like, there was some, like, pattern recognition or some thing that would start it, and then it was about, like the journey that you went on from there and like when those things started in in my practice versus being in school i think they were i mean they were i guess like the school work was more relevant to people who are in school right right Uh, right like um so i think if you were like that's what michael does so well michael beirut is like you know he's like i was working on this op-ed thing for the new york times like well that's pretty cool yeah Yeah, (laughs) i'm pretty interested already you know
0: right (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I've gotten kind of different perspectives on that question. When I talked to Michael about that, you know, he, you know, he was kind of very open in saying, you know, almost everything he's written has come out of something that he was actually wrestling with in his own design work. And then I talked to Michael Rock, who said that he very consciously tries to keep two by four work out of any kind of writing. That he mm-hmm. does. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting of how how those things fit together and then also the kind of uh I don't know, the distance between the writing and the
1: work. Totally. I mean those are such great examples too. I was so so happy to see uh Michael's book come out, um and just you know, see him back in it. Um and they're they're very just very different voices in design in design writing. So Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, like, um, the writing and the more academic stuff, it's just an opportunity to be more abstract in the connections that you make and to be more, um, speculative in, in what you're thinking about and working on. So, um, if you can start, if, if it can like intersect with actual work, um, you know, that I think grounds it more for people, but, um, you know, Michael Beirut is definitely like, you know, his work is not—you can't mis- misinterpret it for anything right. other than about graphic design. Right. You know, right. it's like right. it's about graphic design. Right. Um, and some of the other writers, like Paul Elliman or um, you know, or Stewart, or or David Reinford, or yeah. or Michael Rock, or you're like, is this about life? Yeah. Is this, yeah. this About more than design, you know? Yeah. Um, and and it and it really did. It is in a lot of ways. So. Um, yeah, it's so it's different voices in, in the dialogue. That's definitely something that, um, like, I think, you know, you mentioned the Emigre piece. I think that was in the last issue of yeah. Emigre. Yeah. You know, so it's like that ended, that sort of, like, voices in conversation with one another thing um, uh, was was part of what was really interesting. You'd get, like, really different voices and personalities kind of rubbing it up against yeah, each right. other in a right. book or in a magazine or a, or a single blog where that had a good stable of writers and now everybody kind of has their own channel you right know?
0: right I you know I have two questions that are semi related that are c- directly kind of responding to this idea of, of kind of how it relates to to work or how it relates to graphic design um, and I want to kind of connect it to your work now and kind of what you're doing now and so, The first part of the question is i'm 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 interested i i imagine that you your job now involves a lot of writing and it's probably not essay writing and and this kind of academic writing um but how how just writing in the in the largest sense fits into the work that you're doing now and how that how those things relate to each other and then the, the second part is if you see any connection between the kind of more academic or the essay writing that you had done on Design Observer and Immigre, does that have any effect or has influenced kind of how you think about what you're doing now?
1: Uh, I'll take the second part of the question first. I think I was very fortunate to have the experience of like kind of going for it a little bit and having that work out, you know, like I, I, I wrote in a pretty, um, I just, I didn't like edit it or try to be successful or try to like fit in at all. And then people actually like a a small subculture actually like read it and responded to it. And I think that influences me still. I'm unafraid and I do have faith that your work will find an audience. So You know, a lot of people, I think, in marketing and and creative, in the creative industry, it's hard to, like, keep that sense of, like, are people going to get this, you know, is this going to go, are people going to be like, what the fuck is this? Right, right. And I think I was just, because I had that experience early on, I was like, you know, always shoot for that, like, don't ever underestimate the audience. And, like, I'd rather connect to those people that I really believe in than a general audience. Um, So that was important. I mean, writing—it's—it's it's surprising to me how like um, hard like brand strategy is. It's just like yeah. way harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was going to be like you do the logo, you pick some colors. Yeah. But there's a lot of you know our culture is so <laughs> difficult to like penetrate now. Yeah. Like you have to like really have a good strategy and a good approach to like your the insight that you're gonna get after with people and then if you're leading a big team you have to be able to express that in a way that people can understand and then they can do it as well because the brand control isn't possible or right. and it doesn't work anymore so you have to right. like feed an insight and a set of like like insights to a team of people all over the world and go like you know try to tickle this tension point in your culture so it's very it's like way you know and and i think i'm fortunate to work with really smart team and and Mm -hmm. really smart partners and you know we probably are too heady about it like to the point of like you know like it's more for us than for the customer but (laughs) um there's definitely a lot more um in the in the sort of like marketing and brand side than i uh uh, on the writing side the the strategy piece is like very I think the most similar to the work at, um, the writing work that I did. And that's where the writing really happens. I'm writing the, working on the, you know, brand strategy for Sonos is like, you know, it's like writing something for design observer, only a lot harder. Yeah,
0: I mean, so that's, that, that, I mean, that's interesting to me because, and I don't mean to, to oversimplify your, your career at all, but if you look at, you know, if you look down your resume and, and look, 10, 15 years ago, it looked like you very easily could have had a pretty good career in academia uh, with teaching and writing and the kind of design work that you were doing. And now being on the marketing brand side, in some ways, those seem like, you know, as opposed as they could be. Um, are,
1: Are there connections between those, do you think? I don't know. It's interesting. I I grew up with academics, so my you know my dad was a professor at Michigan. My mom was a college professor, and there was you know several moments in my career, like early on, where I was like, should I take this academic job or should I do this commercial job? And both my academic parents were like, definitely go for a commercial (laughs) job. Like they're like, academia will be there. You know, you can you know stay connected to that. And and I have really enjoyed like you know, going into the RISD program or, or working with the students at CalArts or, like, like doing spending that time in that community, it's still incredibly invigorating and inspiring. And, like, I get a ton out of it. And and I think um, bring a perspective now of having, like, navigated, you right. know, the corporate world and stuff like that. So there, I keep that connection going. It's important to me. Um, how connected they are... Um, I mean, certainly, like... You know, I remember Scott Stoll, like, mm. our first, one of his first classes was t- was about why design is different than advertising. Right, yeah. Like, he had, of course, the coolest, like, graphics of, like, that explained, <laughs> right. like, why design was better than right. advertising, right. basically. Um, and they are, you know, I think that um, I still, we still make a lot of stuff through design. And I think... That's always a strength, so like I always tell people who are designers who are you know looking for what they're going to do in their careers like never give up that that core of typography and and design because everybody brings something that their that is their strength into right. Right. whatever they're doing and and design is just as good as any other one yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's actually better I, that's be, being sarcastic but there <laughs> it's actually better than um Than many, and like you can use that skill set and that perspective, and it gives you a unique take. Like when we make um, campaigns, like we do the post, the poster, the print work is like I think really you know better than a lot of other brands because Mm -hmm. we care about it much more, and I think that works for us. You know, I think the advertising, the the sort of TV ads, is something that a lot of people do, Um, but we might even take a more design design designy approach to that. So um it's it's still it's still worked in there i don't think i don't think they're probably as uh, opposite ends of the spectrum as okay. scott um okay. explained them i mean th- i uh, this is a big i'm about
0: to ask a big question so i apologize in in advance but um a a recurring what's become a recurring theme in these conversations that i have with people is as people go through in my own journey as a, as a designer, you know, now 10 years or whatever it's been, and then talking to people who have been designing much longer, their, how the word design or the words graphic design, that definition has evolved for them over the years. And so, you know, you mentioned David Reinfurt. I interviewed him, and, you know, he's very kind of on the edge. Of what we might call graphic design, I'm curious has has it evolved for you, or the way you think about it, or what it what it is to you?
1: I do think it's like kind of shrunk, I would say, over the years. Yeah. Like the core of it was always typography, um, and layout. And I think again in that period of the of the we you know when I was in graduate school, it had really ballooned a little mm-hmm. bit to be like it's film and producing media, and like it right. had gotten You know pretty broad and now when i think of the the tools that we use to like you know either at patagonia or here to like communicate about a brand i definitely see like graphic design as one of those things um and i'm probably biased towards you know a filmmaker or a writer who has that background but i i see those as a design is once again like okay that's what graphic design is
0: and so it's so it's almost uh so when you say that you do a television spot or a video spot that has a kind of design um i I forget the word you use but like a design approach to it graphic design is just a a tool to achieve that or a process to achieve that the the video spot is not necessarily graphic design you think
1: right and i would you know we build a store, we use like, like, you know, three-dimensional designers. I don't think that's graphic design anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think like when we make a website, you oh, know, or digital yeah. project, like that's a that's a digital designer. Um, yeah. I think that's an interesting background. That's an interesting area where um, I particularly favor people who have a more traditional background because yeah. I think – there's, there's a sort of two ways that you can arrive at being a digital designer. One is through graphic design or traditional design, where you really just have to figure out how to solve problems with typography and, mm-hmm. and layout. And then another one is sort of like, I'm really focused on the, the tech and the sort of like the way things move right. and stuff like that, and where you're sort of content agnostic. And I think that that side doesn't work for me, really. Okay. Like if it looks cool, but you're not actually like right. getting getting the content through, right. Um that one isn't my, my favorite.
0: So, so I have another kind of two part question that you, you actually started to answer a little bit um, in in your answer there. Cause I'm, you know, when you're, when you're designing a store um, and you have a very traditional graphic design background, what does that, what do you kind of bring to that? Or how does, how do you think your, your background in your career you know, can kind of shape the look of the Sono store, or you know, the brand at large that you might not have if you're just a a brand guy or a strategist or something.
1: Um, yeah, probably a lot more graphics than you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm fortunate I get to work with Kira on our stores, so oh,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, she's she, it's a level of continuity there for me too. But like. They're pretty graphic. Like, there's big graphics on the yeah. windows. And there's big, like, there's a sort of a more, I would say, um, important role for that kind of communication in the store. I mean, there's like design stuff that you that you always use, like scale and contrast and all that stuff. Um, and you know, to be clear, like I don't design the store. Right. I'm like, right. okay, Let's work with you know partners in spade, or let's work with Work Order, or let's do this one ourselves. But You know, certainly, like, I think it's a way of, it's still a way of differentiating a brand, like, great design isn't, not everybody does it. (laughs) And I can see why now, having worked on a number of brands, it's like, it's, 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 it's so hard to make something consistent and make something actually feel like a real thing. And the easiest way to do yeah. that is through very minimal approach. Like yeah. that is definitely the, like, if I was hiring somebody with my own money, I'd be like, just don't fuck around.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Just think consistent, make me look like a real company. But like, if you have the, 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 the patience to actually work through tougher graphic solutions, yeah. um, like the the campaign that the work that we just launched has all these mouths and all these like patterns. Oh
0: yeah.
1: And when we started that, the mouth thing was like, I remember just people being like, "This is never going to work. This looks insane." Like, yeah. what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just like, but because if you're a designer, you know, you just have to keep hammering away at something like right. that. If you right. think it can work, you have to keep carving away at it and carving away at it and like whittling it down, oh, whittling yeah. it down, and you know, I think that now we ended in a place where it's very iconic and clean and, and cut through because we went through that design process, which is not like fun, you know, and it's not easy or cheap. It's like, that's, that's the other thing is like, it's much cheaper to do something, you know, simple and, um, uh, or sort of expected, you know, but, um, I think it's still it's still a way to differentiate a brand. I, I
0: wanna I wanna take that and go back to something you said earlier that intrigued me when you said that you and your team can be kind of heady about the strategy or or about kind of the brand voice or kind of brand visuals, and it's another that's exactly another reason why I wanted to talk to you and why I admire a career like yours or even uh, you know Rob at Google now is I. Before I went to grad school, my whole career was in-house at Warby Parker for a little bit, and then I was at Facebook for a little bit. And I felt like I didn't have – one of the reasons why I, I left those, as great jobs as they were, is because I didn't have a chance to kind of flex that intellectual side or the more uh, reflexive side. It was just kind of go, 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 you know, get work out, Um Sometimes it was just about, well, let's just make this look cool because we only have three days to do this. <laughs> and so when I when I talk to people like yourself or like Rob who who come from a kind of very rich background like a uh intellectually rich background, I'm in awe of how you may might be able to bring that into that this new type of environment because I didn't know how to do it. Um mm-hmm do you Do you find that you have a place to be uh reflexive about the work or to to kind of think about it uh a little more deeper or more
1: intellectually I mean I think part of it is just is being really fortunate in who hires you so <laughs> I feel like I've always every job I've had I've been hired by i think this is gonna be accurate to say. By a woman who was willing to like let me do that. Like all my bosses have been really smart, really talented people yeah. who are like, okay, you've got this thing where you can be really strategic and you're like thoughtful and critical, and so I'm actually going to let you do that at yeah. this job. Um, Interesting. So like that's like step number one is just being given the opportunity, and you just okay. have to be grateful for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the same here. It's like if you set the if you lean into those moments and you lean into those Opportunities, and you're like, this is what I'm going to bring to the table, um, it'll lead to more of those opportunities for you to have that kind of aspect to your work. Yeah. I mean, I think the writing thing helped with that. I know that, like, um, Sue Otto at Urban Outfitters was, like, one of the first people, was the first person to hire me after Kira, and she got... This art magazine that I had done at Yale and had it in my interview, and she oh, was wow. asking this dumb like art zine that I did. Yeah. at yeah. Yale. <laughs> so, and obviously Kira was aware of that too. So I think you get what the work that you're doing now and and doing that independent work, you know, makes you self gets you self selected into jobs right. where you'll be um, welcome as right. a as a as that kind of person.
0: So so I mean, you actually think that that's. That's why people wanted you. I mean, not to make that's you know not to make you kind of sound arrogant, but that was a that was a attractive in in your resume to have that side of it and not just be a a decorator or you know a kind of really good with kerning or something.
1: Yeah, that's not a, that's not really yeah that's a good way to put it. That's not a compliment to me. That's yeah. a compliment to to Kira and Suato and and Joy right. and yeah. all those all those leaders who have said like. Okay, that's what I part of what I want in my toolbox, you know. Yeah. I think about that when I build a team too. Like, I, was just I mean, ask, I yeah. think my weakness is like is is in the um, in the actual beauty making, you know. So I always like over-index on those people in, in my team because, yeah. um, you know, I'll I'll handle the you know the chin stroking. <laughs> right. I got that covered. <laughs>
0: right. Uh, I, yeah. That I love that. I mean, I feel like that. i mean, not to. I don't want this to kind of sound bad or that I'm ungrateful of my past career because I loved it and and learned a lot. But I think that was the biggest, I think I was, you know, too too young to understand kind of what I wanted in a career. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in the kind of going going really fast, working late, just kind of churning work out. And then all of a sudden, you know, I kind of hit this moment where it's like, well, wait, I used to like writing and I used to like kind of thinking about this stuff deeper and I didn't want to just be a decorator. You know, how did I mm-hmm. get that? And the environments didn't kind of allow a place for that. And so it's really nice to hear that, you know, there are kind of people and teams that make that a priority. Because I don't think a lot of people know that. I think a lot of people think that it is just fast.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. And obviously, like, I haven't been able to uh, do as, uh, like, basically any writing for the last five years. So don't look to me as an example of that, uh, right. by any means. And certainly, um, I wish I left at five o'clock. But, uh, okay. you know, it's, it's um, the work, the, the regular job that I do does involve a lot of um, strategy work and critical uh, cultural work and stuff. So it, and I think like my whole career has kind of been an attempt to try to integrate my life more, and not have things I like to do outside of work, and then go to yeah. work and do something totally different. Right. So I think that's been the, the path to kind of, um, you know, making a lot of that making a lot of that happen in the nine to five day. Yeah. Do you
0: think that that kind of strategy type work that you're doing now does that feed that desire that you have to write more or to that kind of critical side, are you getting a lot of that through the work that you're doing?
1: I think like this, this job, the Sonos brand is definitely the most fulfilling across all those Mm -hmm. vectors, visual, you know, creative, strategic storytelling, 3d, like, but it is, I am seeing the limits of like, I think, you know, I do still have thoughts that are completely outside of the commercial realm and I have the desire and the interest in like getting pen to paper on those ideas. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's been, it's been, um, whatever, 15 years of like channeling that into brands, you know, doing Urban Outfitters brand and then the Patagonia brand and now this brand. And that's been incredibly fulfilling and I've been fortunate to have and to kind of like go to a brand that was lining up to where my interests were at that time. So that like, you know, I, I did this book about, um, environmental activism yeah. and I was like, okay, Patagonia, there's a brand where I can like channel that into that brand. Right. Um, and now I think I'm like reaching a point where I'm like, I, I kind of like the app, the full abstraction and yeah. the full like consumer of the culture versus trying to like make the culture, yeah. um, is beginning to surface again of like, oh,
0: interesting.
1: um, you know, for, for that 15 years, it was about like impacting culture and, and like, being in it it's been about like trying to make a dent in it and now it's like that the third person removed like critic perspective is like starting to come out again um for me so you know maybe it's just it's a matter of like your your phases of your life and your phases of your of your interest yeah do you think that that do you think there's a place for that in in
0: your work I'm i'm not trying to like you know Set you up there because I I realize that's kind of a weird question talking about the limits of of your job in a way, but I'm kind of curious if you think there are ways that you can actually feed that in because you have been able to connect those things.
1: Before. yeah I mean we absolutely do like it's funny we're, we're doing a whole thing about um, test patterns now and it's like oh right I wrote a whole article yeah. about test patterns like yeah. 10 years ago and I'm like I seem like the old crank at work I'm like you gotta read this thing <laughs> I wrote about this back in the internet times yeah you I know? remember but, that piece yeah. that's so funny so I, yeah. I this brand I mean what what attracted me to it is that <laughs> I think my critical perspective is really helpful in this brand being successful I think it's mm-hmm. It's about, you know, having, um, technology that actually gives you a more enriched life as opposed to something that makes you more of a, of a algorithm or, you know, brings more utility to your life. It's actually like a, a a way of making you more present and culturally connected and kind of like, it's almost like an anti-tech tech tech company. So that critical edge is like really useful and it's a, it's a kind of marketing that, um, that um, we did at Patagonia too, and and we had I've had the fortune good fortune to work with this guy Doug Holt, who writes about cultural strategy, which is very much about like taking a critical perspective and using that as your slingshot into punching right. above weight class basically right. as a small brand, you can get a lot more attention by exploiting a cultural perspective, a critical perspective on culture, than by just being like. You know hooray our products are good like that's very different it's very expensive to get that message across
0: i have i have just a couple kind of quick questions to kind of wrap wrap all of this up these are kind of questions that i ask everybody kind of at the end um and uh, the first one i'm going to kind of ask you in two ways because we started talking about it earlier uh because you had mentioned that you you know, you would love to kind of get back to writing or to to kind of write like you, like, like we were talking about before. Uh, and so, the question that I ask everybody is: What are the issues or the topics or subjects that uh, you would like to see designers or design critics or writers writing and talking about more of? Um, or or what are the issues kind of pressing design right now that people should be talking about and writing about? And so. I want to ask you that kind of generally, but then I also kind of want to talk about your own interest in writing. You know, if you were to kind of get back into it, are there things you're thinking about that you, you know, you wish you had time to write about?
1: Yeah, I think like what I'm always interested in an article doing is like waking me up to something mm-hmm. that I couldn't, I couldn't quite put my finger on before. Yeah. Um, I'm making, making a connection or an observation that, bring something to life that I maybe was on the tip of your tongue or you're in your peripheral vision, but you're like, something's happening here, but I can't quite figure out what it is. And a writer like puts their finger on it and, you know, not explaining it, but kind of bringing it to your attention in a clear way. So that's always something that I value in writing and, 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 and about the form too, like not just, um, right. The more sort of like, um, socioeconomic underpinnings or the you know sort of ideology of design but that kind of um that formal aspect i feel like we're actually getting to another point of of rest where there's there's something to be said like i think we we kind of have gone through a period of of um we're we're settling into an aesthetic right now that I feel like somebody needs to go like what the f- what the yeah, fuck why yeah, are we yeah, doing this why I'm... is every image full bleed why is like all nav floating over an image now like what you know yeah I'm so glad
0: uh, you bring this up right I could talk to you for another hour about this <laughs> about that specifically
1: um, so yeah I mean I'm I'm excited to see someone kind of dig into that I feel like there's a new there's a new um, orthodoxy to be to be critiqued in that way yeah. um, and then um, I mean I do think that the role of technology in our lives is the other one that we've hit this like wall on yeah. and designers were like we're probably the population, especially my age, that's suffering the most from what we created. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like a, there needs to be a sort of generational reevaluation almost in the same way there is about sexual harassment and stuff of like, what have we created here? Like a culture that's just like so easy to consume and, and has so many adverse, you know, side effects for people's lives and stuff like that. Like, you know, and you hear some of the technology people talking about it, like Sean Parker and and Elon Musk talking about it. But like, right? Um, I think that's an interesting topic for 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 design criticism right now.
0: Yeah, that yeah, that's so interesting. My my last question is: I'm I'm very interested in who are the the writers or the critics, authors, books, designers, who have really influenced you and the way you kind of think about these things or, you know, have kind of influenced the, the work that you do or the things that, you know, you were writing about.
1: Hmm. Um, gosh, I mean, there's, it's funny that you mentioned like the two different kinds of writers, because I always really admired like the directness of like a Michael Beirut and his writing. And at the same time, I really loved like the dot, dot, dot kind of, um, abstraction and i think a lot of that comes back to Stuart bailey yeah. as an editor and that he really would embrace that in you and push you to go ahead go into that like and we'd even joke about it like how like half the articles in that are people misinterpreting critical theory like yeah. <laughs> you know people sort of understanding it but not really you know yeah. or talking yeah. about how they didn't understand it so <laughs> i like both those yeah. like strains really you know really equally um there, there's the one essay about free time um, that it just it always like I think it always it just continues to remain relevant to me. It's like there's a few things that I always like ring uh, into the back of my uh, mind, um, and that's one that was in. Um, I, I quoted it several times. I think it's on the uses of free time. Oh, um,
0: yeah, that sounds familiar.
1: Um, so. Yeah, those that stuff. Okay, sometimes. I, um,
0: I know I said that was the last question, but now now I have one more kind of quick one because I'm I'm totally with you on that split or that kind of difference between a Michael Beirut essay and a Stuart Bailey essay. And I've I've interviewed Michael Beirut. I'm actually scheduled to interview Stuart in a couple of weeks, um, and I'm very much attracted to both of their styles and ways of thinking also and I find myself kind of you know I I'm nowhere near the talented writers as they are but I kind of you know model myself you know kind of bounce back and forth between them do you, what what did you always feel more more comfortable with you know I
1: certainly in my work sense and the way that I write for do copywriting or script writing, uh, I'm, i place a high premium on, on economy of language mm-hmm. and yeah. directness. Yeah. I actually have found that that is far more rare in communication yeah, being out. And it's and partly going back to like what I was saying about, like, if you're working in a global context, like if you're doing a strategy document or like an idea and it, and it people in, um, in another language are going to be like what the fuck does that mean or like they're going to translate it in a weird way or like it's just going to slow you down and what you're trying to do so like a lot of what i do with writing now is is really to try to boil it down to like like i think of like um you know arnold lobel or like Mm. you know Children's writers who are like they can Mm -hmm. speak in a way that's like really great for an adult, but like easy to understand for a kid. Like the ideas are no less complex in an Arnold Lobel book than in Shakespeare, but like a kid can understand it. So certainly, like have found a lot more utility for that kind of (laughs) writing approach than than the other form. Dimitri, this
0: was this was so fun. This was great. Like I said at the beginning, I uh you have been on my list as someone to talk to for for a while and i've i've been following your career and and just kind of love what you do and how you think about these things so thank you so much for uh for this conversation i thought it was great
1: thank you it's it's extremely flattering to hear that from you and, and i appreciate it very much thank you
0: This episode was recorded on November 30th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.